Well, we are now in uh, Matthew chapter 15, and this morning, looking at verses 21 through 28, that can be found on page number 1,522 of the Pew Bibles. Again, that's Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 21 through 28. As always, I'll wait until the leafing ceases. Hear the word of the Lord. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, You have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we just sung, we need your spirit to give us understanding. We come before you at this time and ask that you would grant that request, that we might know you and love you, and love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we put on our 21st century goggles, this story is uh, troubling. And sure, it seems like Jesus does the right thing at the end, but he doesn't come across very well in the process. Here's a minority, a foreigner, a woman, on the spectrum between discrimination and privilege, she would fall right squarely in the camp of a victim who's been discriminated against. And then Jesus, who's a privileged male religious leader, he makes her beg, he ignores her, and he calls her a dog. Some scholars go so far as to suggest that this story must mean that either Jesus is imperfect, although he does learn from the woman and come around by the end, Or that the Bible is imperfect. 
because there's no way to justify what we read here otherwise. But we know that the Bible is the very words of God and that it's infallible. We know Jesus is God and that he's the perfect son of God and the savior of the world. And so how are we supposed to understand this story? Well, first we're going to look at the approach to Jesus, followed by the response of Jesus, and finally the faith of the woman. So the approach to Jesus. Now to set the scene, we have to go back to where this story began. We're kind of in the middle of an elongated narrative that began with Jesus discovering that John the Baptist had been put to death. And so he goes across the lake uh, to find some space to be alone and to pray, only to discover a crowd there that he spends the entire day healing and teaching. And then at the end of the day, he feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children. After that, he stays up the majority of the night praying, and then he walks on water to catch up to his disciples and rescue them from the storm, ends up on the other side of the sea, only to spend his day healing people. He's being so crowded in by the people who were groping after him, just hoping to be able to touch the edge of his cloak to be healed. And then some Pharisees, who are celebrity Pharisees from Jerusalem, show up, challenging him about purity laws. And then we read, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so in Matthew's narrative, the main contrast here is Jesus leaving Israel and then going into the unclean lands of the Gentiles, right after debating the Pharisees about purity laws. This is Matthew's way of telling us Jesus doesn't care about purity laws. They have served their purpose. But when Mark tells us this story, he gives us a little bit more information as to why Jesus has left to go to Tyre and Sidon. Mark tells us that when Jesus got there, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Which tells us that Jesus needed a rest from the crowds. Jesus needed a break from the Pharisees and all their questions. He's looking looking for a place where he can go and just relax for a minute. But a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. If you'll recall, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, God promises to give Abraham and all of his descendants the land of Canaan. Well, in order for there to be a nation of Israel, it required the Canaanite people who lived in that land to be displaced. So not only are we dealing with a woman who is a racial minority here, but we're dealing with somebody who is a member of a displaced people group because Jesus' people took her land. This would be like a, a Palestinian woman coming up to a Jewish rabbi right now. 
which if you know anything about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, would be absurd. Or to make it an American context, this would be a black woman coming up to a white evangelical religious leader and falling down on her knees and begging him for something. So this moment is racially charged, it's politically charged. From Jesus' perspective, he shouldn't even be talking to this woman. From her perspective, she certainly shouldn't be wanting anything from him other than justice. So a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So she's crying out to him. This, the verb tense of this word tells us that she's continually crying out to him. She's calling him Lord. This could be as simple as a respectful sir. Or it could mean she understands that he is the Lord of life and creation. She calls him the son of David. If you recall, Matthew began his gospel by introducing Jesus to us as the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To be the son of David is to be the hope and the savior of Israel. And this woman believes that that's who Jesus is, which is remarkable. In contrast, to the Pharisees from Jerusalem that we met last week who were Jews, who knew the scriptures, yet had no idea who Jesus was. Here's this Canaanite woman who somehow knows exactly who Jesus is. She may not have all of her doctrines in order, but she knows who Jesus is and she's begging him for mercy. You see, when we ask for mercy, we know we're guilty. We need mercy when we have no claim on the thing that we're asking for. So when you're pulled over by a police officer, you don't justify why it was okay for you to be speeding. No, we say, if you would be so kind as to give me a warning this time. Because we know we're guilty. But, this is strange to our ears because in our culture, the displaced, foreign, minority, woman is the ultimate victim. She needs justice, not mercy. And our culture would want to force Jesus to heal her if he was able to. And yet here she is begging Jesus for mercy? Why? Well, she tells us, because her daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. You see, nothing moves the heart of a parent like the suffering of their child. And last week we learned that our deepest spiritual problem is a sinful heart that produces sinful thoughts and words and actions. And because of that, we are people who need mercy. And this story, following on the heels of last week's story, is Matthew's way of showing us how we are to come to Jesus for mercy. 
We come crying out and begging for mercy. It doesn't matter if we're a victim or privileged by society's standards. We're all unclean because all of us have sinful hearts that produce sinful thoughts and words and actions. But the story also shows us how we are to come to him with our sickness and our sorrow. We still come seeking mercy. Because no matter how discriminated against we are, everything we have is a gift, and we deserve nothing we ask for, and this woman is humble enough to understand that. So how does Jesus respond? Well, he ignores her. Matthew tells us Jesus did not answer a word. Now this is almost worse than being mean. To ignore someone or to pretend they don't exist when they're pleading with you for mercy almost seems like the cruelest thing that you could do. Just imagine yourself in this situation. How would you respond? You're pleading for mercy from someone who you know has the power to grant you the thing you're asking for, and he's ignoring you. I can imagine all of us just saying, forget you, man. <laughs> I, I humbled myself, I came and threw myself down before you, and you're just, you're just going to ignore me? I'm out of here, man. Forget you. But Jesus is God. And sometimes we ask someone to walk through something difficult because we know it's the best thing for them. Your piano teacher might assign you a piece that is more than you can handle not because she's trying to crush you, but because she knows that you can do it. She's showing you something great within you that you can't see yet, and it's hard. Romans 15.4, Paul tells us that it is endurance that produces hope. So when God brings a trial for us to endure, and then he empowers us to endure it, we grow in hope. Peter reminds us that in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And then he says, these have come. Well, where did they come from and who sent them? This is what's called the divine passive, right? These have come from God. He sent them. We could say God has given them to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So as we move through Jesus' response here, keep in mind that he is God, and he's testing her. 
He's proving the genuineness of this woman's faith. And just like it's hard to watch anyone suffer, we know God is using it to produce in them a faith that is of greater worth than gold. So take off our 21st century goggles and put these goggles on. When God seems silent, he's not being mean. He's a good father who knows what we need already before we even ask for it. We can trust that he's refining our faith. He's granting us hope through the experience of endurance, and that will produce faith which is greater value than gold. And that's what's happening here, okay? And it's actually the disciples who have the biggest problem with Jesus ignoring her. Matthew goes on. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. That word translated send her away literally means release her. The disciples are saying, Jesus, heal her already. She keeps crying out. We've seen you heal Gentiles before. Just heal her. She's ruining our vacation. So Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What do we do with this? Well, it's a true statement. Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God to Israel. That is what he was sent to do. And that's a very good thing for everyone else in the whole world because our salvation depends on God keeping his promises to Israel and then making those promises available to everyone in the world. Jesus tells the, the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Paul writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus says this, he says, this mystery of the gospel is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs. <laughs> they're, they're fellow sons and daughters together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. But God is saving his people in history. There's a timeline. There's an unfolding process. The goal has always been for all people to share in the promises of Israel. But that happens in history after God fulfills his promises to Israel. And the book of Matthew is a book written to Jews to help them understand this. That's why Matthew emphasizes Gentiles and Jesus' genealogy. That's why it's Gentiles from the east who come and, and worship him for the first time. That's why the book ends with Matthew, or Jesus telling us to go and to share the gospel with all the nations. And this story is part of that trajectory, teaching us that the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners is available to everyone regardless of sex, race, or status. But when this encounter with this woman actually happens in history, those promises are not yet fulfilled, and the mystery of the gospel has not yet been revealed. So Jesus is reminding the disciples and this woman that at this point in salvation history, she has no hope, 
and she has no claim on the covenant promises of Israel. But notice something else. Jesus says he came for the lost sheep of Israel. The people of Israel are just as hopeless as this woman. The only difference is that they don't know it. Even though they have all the privileges, the people of Israel should also be on their knees begging Jesus for mercy. The point is that everyone is hopeless, Jew and Gentile. Everyone is hopeless unless Jesus fulfills the law and keeps the promises that God made to Israel. And Jesus is using this woman to show us what makes someone able to receive the promises of God, whether they are a Jew or a Gentile. It's not whether they've suffered discrimination or been given privilege. What makes someone able to receive the promises of God is believing that your greatest need is the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And that God is willing to give mercy to anyone who asks. Which takes us to our last point, the faith of the woman. So faith in Jesus as the one who gives mercy to anyone who asks for it is the only thing God requires. And Matthew goes on to tell us, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. So after ignoring her, after telling her I didn't come for you, she still comes and kneels before him. And that word kneel could mean as simply as she got down on her knees before him, or it could also mean she bowed down and worshiped him. And he calls her Lord again, which again could just mean sir, or it could mean you are the Lord of life and all creation. And then she simply and humbly asks him to help her. And then Jesus basically says to her, you are not worthy. His exact words are, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now several commentators point out <clears throat> that what might be happening here is Jesus has a sly smile and a twinkle in his eye when he says this. Because there's no way he could say something this cruel with a straight face. And it's true, he might. But, but we don't know that. That's adding to the text to try to blunt the force of these words. The truth is we have no idea the tone of his voice or the look on his face when he says these words. We just know the information. Jesus is saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Therefore, the bread I have to give is for them, and it's not right, right to waste any of it by giving it to dogs such as yourself. It's like he takes all the reasons she has to fear rejection by him and all the reasons she has to feel unworthy and he puts them in her face and he turns the screws. You're a Gentile. You're unclean. You're a sinner. You're a woman. God did not send me to you or your people. Do you feel unworthy to come to Jesus sometimes?
Are you afraid that if you come to him, he's going to put all the reasons that you're unworthy right back in your face? An addiction. Your past. Your circumstances. And what we want to hear so desperately is that, is that we're worthy. But the truth is, our hope can never be in our worthiness. Our hope is in Jesus' willingness to give mercy to everyone who believes. Our hope is in Jesus' willingness to give mercy to everyone who believes. Dogs were mangy, unclean street animals. Some scholars suggest Jesus is not referring to that kind of dog, and that he softened the blow by using a word for dog that refers to cute little house dogs. Uh, But again, from what I read, that's debatable. Because it's not clear that that form of the word was understood that way at this time. So again, the truth is we don't know. We don't know his tone of voice. We don't know the look on his face. We don't know what kind of dog he's referring to. We just know that he's calling her a dog. And I think, I think the reason this is such a difficult thing for us to understand is because we live in a therapeutic culture where everyone gets a trophy, no one's feelings should ever get hurt, And whether or not we buy into that mentality or not, because of it, it's just hard for us to read this story. And so we end up trying to figure out how we can justify Jesus, even though he's so mean to this woman. Why is it so hard to imagine Jesus looking at this woman and telling her in no uncertain terms, you are not worthy? See, by doing that, we miss the point, which is that we are not worthy either. And remember, Jesus is offending everyone here. The woman is an unclean animal. The children of Israel are dumb, blind, lost sheep. And we don't need to try to get Jesus off the hook for committing a 21st century social faux pas because God is free to say whatever he wants to test our faith. And by testing this woman, he's drawing out and then showing her the greatness of her faith. He's proving the genuineness of her faith. And that kind of faith is more precious than gold. An insult would be a small price to pay for the God of the universe to show you and assure you that you have the kind of faith that this woman has. And he's also showing us the way to salvation. The stakes are high, and the truth is so important that Jesus sticks his finger in the eye of all of our sensibilities to wake us up. Our impulse, and rightfully so, is to comfort this woman, to tell her it's okay, I'm sorry your daughter is sick. Let me help you. It must be so hard to be a Canaanite woman in a Jewish world. 
This isn't your fault. You're not that bad. You've just had a hard life. You just need a few breaks to go your way for once. Let's, let's see what we can do. But Jesus wants us to know our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our status or, or our cultural identity or our victimhood. It's not in our privilege. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So when the woman responds to Jesus, she's not disagreeing with him as if he says it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs and she's saying, yes it is, it is right. She's not disagreeing with Jesus, she's agreeing with him. And the Greek, her exact words are, yes, Lord. Yes, it is not right to give the children's bread to the dogs, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. You see, it's the woman who makes us a household dog. You see that? She is the one. Right? All the verbal encounters Jesus has with Pharisees all throughout the Gospels, he always gets the best of them. But this woman is the one person who gets the best of Jesus. She's the one who says, I may be a dog, but I'm your dog, Jesus. And I know you will let me eat the crumbs that fall from the table because a crumb from your table is enough. One writer put it this way. He said, she's confident that even if she is not entitled to sit down as a guest at Messiah's table, Gentile dog that she is, yet at least she may be allowed to receive a crumb of the uncovenanted mercies of God. You see, our society wants to divide everybody up between oppressors or the oppressed. You're either entitled and demanding your privilege, or you're discriminated against, victim, demanding justice. And our, our society leaves no in-between, and the reason we're in such turmoil is because no one on this planet is qualified to sort all that out. But for Jesus, we're all sinners in need of mercy. And when we can see ourselves as we truly are, then we are free to lay down our privilege and love our neighbor. Then we are free to forgive our oppressors because we know the only reason we're not oppressors ourselves is an accident of birth. If God would have put us into a different family with different color skin and access to wealth and privileges, we could have just as easily been the person we hate. But it's our universal need for God's mercy that puts us all on our knees, shoulder to shoulder with this woman, looking to him and to him alone. I don't know if you remember... Um, my very first sermon I preached on the book of Matthew, uh, I gave an analogy. And you can go back and listen to it. We, we put all of our, I don't know if you know this or not, but we put all of our podcasts uh, up onto a podcast app. So you can get it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Nate posts them on Tuesday or Wednesday every week. But the very first sermon I preached, I gave an analogy about an airplane. And I, I talked about how when you walk into the airplane, you have the first class, you have the business class, you have the, the, the people in the coach, right? And how there's real distinctions between those people, class, you know, 
uh, sex and race on a plane. And, and then as soon as the engine goes out, everybody's the same. Right? Everybody's just a person on a plane that's crashing. And, and that's what this story is teaching us. We're all sinners in need of mercy, and Jesus is a Savior who will give us mercy. And faith, in spite of the obstacles, dogged, enduring faith, is how we receive his mercy. It's the instrument that God gives to us to be able to believe and to receive the mercy and the grace and the kindness of our God. Finally, we read, And Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus' actual words have much more emotional force than can be translated in English. And in Greek, it's, Oh, woman. And you almost get the sense that, that it's been killing him. It's been killing him to do this. And he's just so glad she passed the test and he just picks her up and, oh, woman, your faith is so great. Your faith is so great. Your daughter's healed. Your request is granted. I, well done, my good and faithful servant. So no matter where we are in this life, Right? The, the ultimate goal of this life is that moment when we stand before Jesus and he says, Oh, you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has brought you through to the end. Your faith has kept you in my love. Now come into the kingdom of your Father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would give us faith like this woman. That you would help us to see the complexities of this life, your ways with us that don't make sense, that seem offensive or different from our expectations, that we would persevere through those things knowing that the one thing we need is your mercy. And it is free to anyone who receives it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.